You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, guys. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. We're going to be uh, in the book of James for the entire summer. I think we have it mapped out until the first week in October. So we're going to spend a lot of time walking through this book. Uh, If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, I'd encourage you to take that Pew Bible right in front of you. And you can turn it to page 1011, and you'll be able to follow along with us as we begin um, this brand new series today. So we've entitled this series, Everyday Faith. How faith impacts your everyday life. Let's be honest, the fact that you're here this morning states that faith has some impact upon your life. You're here. You've you've chosen to give up part of your busy weekend uh, to gather together with with other believers to, to worship the Lord through song and to hear from God's word. So I want you guys all just to give yourself a pat on the back. I'm here. You're right, you're here, you're good. You can pat each other's back, as long as it's not creepy, whatever. But the thing I love about the book of James is that James isn't worried so much about the three hours a week. Typically, believers who are active in church spend three hours a week gathering together. Sunday morning, uh, small group, Bible study, whatever it may be, it's three hours. The book of James focuses on the other 165 hours a week that you're not here. So don't pat yourself on the back. You got 100, we all, we all, all of us have 165 other hours that we need to account for. And the book of, of James addresses so many things, so many different aspects of our lives. And some people have called the book of James like the Proverbs of the the New Testament. You ever read the book of Proverbs and it sounds like it, like it jumps all over the place? Is it just me? Like I feel like I'm reading it and it's like, man, like I, like we'll do family devotions in Proverbs. Like, guys, I got nothing because I can't find a thought here in, in some of this stuff. James and Portions is going to jump all over the place. But it, it addresses things like how we treat each other corporately. So it does talk about some stuff here. Um, how we view riches and wealth. How we suffer how we use our tongues, how we, how we come alongside and help other suffering Christians. It talks about how, how, to, how to respond uh, when you're dragged in the court. James chapter 2 talks about how do we live this positive, uh, how, how do we have a vibrant, productive faith um, in the light of a community that so desperately needs it. James talks about so many different aspects of our lives. And it is our prayer beginning with your pastor, that this book would encourage us to take our next step of faith in obedience to Christ in whatever aspect, whatever avenue um, that God speaks to us in. And listen, there's going to be some weeks it's, it's going to be rough because James doesn't mess around. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't whatever. He just speaks truth straight to our hearts. But our prayer is that God would use this study to impact not only, not only today, Sunday, but every day. And James's heart simply is this, that our faith should impact every day, not just Sunday. And when we understand that, that faith isn't just something that we do on Sunday mornings when we come to church, that faith impacts and should infiltrate every single aspect and part of our lives, 
that the book of James will really get a hold of our hearts. So our goal this summer is that all of us would take whatever that next step may be. So I just want to pray over our time together, and we're going to dig into the first four verses of James today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you again with, with our hearts and your word open. And God, we're, we're asking, Lord, that your spirit would work upon God, the very depths of our hearts today. Lord, even as we talk this morning about suffering and trials and pain, God, these are rough and, and often deep subjects. And Lord, we, we want to acknowledge today that life is hard and that pain is real. But in that pain, we want to be re reminded, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for it. So Lord, I pray that as we walk through these verses, Lord, that we would find hope. Not hope that we're going to pick ourselves up from our bootstraps and do this thing on our own, but we're going to find a hope that through our trials, we can see your son Jesus even that much clearer, Lord. And we can walk with him as we just sang about just a few moments ago. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would do what only your spirit can do, convict our hearts, bring about change. And that we leave here, God, closer to you, Lord, than when we arrived. And I ask all these things in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen. So church, the book of James begins like a lot of other epistles. Um, book of James is a letter, an actual letter to an actual church. So James 1.1, we're, we're going to see, we're going to find out who the author is, and we're going to find out who his audience, who he's writing to is as well. So James 1.1 simply says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. It's the author of James. There are actually many Jameses in the New Testament, in the Bible. You have James the disciple, the brother of John. You have James, the father of Judas Iscariot. You have James, the half-brother of Jesus. We believe that James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the author of, of this letter, of this book. But something that you and I need to recognize about James is that James was not a disciple of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. He wasn't. Actually, John chapter 7 says that, that Jesus' brothers and many of his siblings didn't believe he was the Messiah. They just thought that at age 30, he went off his rocker and went off and did crazy stuff. So during Jesus' earthly ministry, James wasn't following after him. But one day after Jesus rose from, from the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus appeared to James. And I would have loved to have been in the room for that. Hey, believe me now, I'm here. From that moment that he saw the risen Savior, it changed his life forever. That was the, the defining moment in James's life. And outside of Peter and Paul, no other person played a more significant role in the early church than James. But I love, notice with me, I love how James introduces himself. How, do, how does he describe himself here in verse 1? A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we live in a world where people will name drop anything. And James could have opened up this letter saying, James, from the sacred womb of Mary, brother of Jesus Christ, a witness of the risen Savior, 
He could have said all that, and all of that would have been true, right? But how does he do it? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, a servant does not come in his own name or does not, and does not come with his own agenda. And even though James had the credentials of doing, being all of that, James was a humble witness and servant of God, speaking for and living for God's kingdom, not his own. So as James begins this letter, he reminds us, listen, this isn't just James's words here. This is the word of the living God that he wants us to hear today, that he wants us to go over and listen to and obey this summer. So as we walk through this sermon series, this isn't just a letter from the half-brother of Jesus. This is God's, this is penned from God's hand to our hearts. James was a servant who spoke for the living God. Now, who was this written to? It says this as well, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. James is written to a very specific audience here. And I want you to, to remember something, that when James was written, probably, probably James was probably the earliest New Testament epistle, probably, probably was written mid to late 30s. So very, very soon after Jesus Christ was died, died resurrected, and ascended into heaven, this book was written, but it was written to a, to a very specific group of people. James writes to Jewish Christians scattered by persecution. The word literally, dispersion, means to scatter. You see, when, when the early church started, and I know I'm giving you a lot of history. Listen, we'll, we'll get into, into the text, but I want you guys to really understand this. When the early church was started, this was a Jewish thing. In Acts chapter 2 and 3, Peter preaches to Jews, and 8, 000, at least 8,000 people accepted Jesus Christ in two sermons. Like, take that, Billy Graham. Like, this guy. 8,000 all at once. Like, the church exploded. But with that explosion, with a movement of God, also came a lot of persecution. In Acts chapter 7, the first Christian martyr recorded um, happened. Stephen, a deacon, a servant of the church which speaks so much to the office of deacon. Uh, that's another topic. I don't have time for that today. But in Acts chapter 8, we find, we find these words. And it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution across the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. See, what happened as God moved, that persecution forced the believing Jews to leave their hometown and settle throughout Palestine, and settle through, throughout the, the, the surrounding area there. See, their faith in Jesus actually cost them something. It cost them to be uprooted from their homes. They were shunned by their families. They lost their jobs. They were dragged into court. They literally experienced what it was like to be a minority in a society that offered them no protection. Think about that. We may, in, in, in our American culture today, evangelical Christians are becoming more and more in the minority. We're feeling the pressure of that. But we have things that our government has, has created to protect us, to give us certain liberties and freedoms that, that, that we can gather and worship together. We can freely proclaim the good news of Jesus. In this culture, there were no safety nets. Someone could get fired because of their religion and no one would say anything. Someone could lose their possessions 
because they were a believer in Jesus and no one would come to their defense. James is writing to a group of, of young, young Christians who are feeling the heat of what persecution actually looks like. And James responds to that right away. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James is writing to a group of believers who desperately need to take, they desperately need their faith to take hold of every aspect of their lives. And he begins today by encouraging them to face their trials with confidence and perseverance. And today, that's what we're going to focus on. As James talks about suffering and trials, we're going to see that God actually has a plan and a purpose for our pain and suffering that we see in our lives. So before we, we dig into these three verses, let's take a little poll of the room. How many of you, how many of you have ever experienced a trial or have gone through some sort of suffering or something painful? Raise your hand. All right. Everyone else, it's coming. It's coming. See, we look at James. This was written thousands of years ago. Man, don't we all need to be reminded of these things? Don't we all need to, need to be reminded that the pain that I'm experiencing right now matters to God and that God is working through it? And even though while we're, we may not be suffering the same way these early Christians were, James has a word to speak to us today. And this morning, I want to show you what faith, when used correctly, how we can use faith, and when we cling to our faith, how we can respond to trials, even when it hurts beyond our wildest imagination. Faith makes a difference in our lives. And I want to show you two ways today. Two examples of how God wants us to react to our trials. So let's dig, dig into our text. James 1, verse 2 and 3. says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I always love verse 2. It's like the most impossible command ever, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials. And before we dig into these verses, I want to just clear two things up. One, James is not saying, James is not saying that whenever something comes, you need to shout for joy, dance on the rooftops, be happy all the time. He's not saying that. People have, people have taken this verse and meant, hey, if you ever are sad, or sorrowful, or depressed, that you, you probably are not a believer. That is false. That's not what James is talking about here. Pain is real. Suffering is real. Things like anxiety and depression are real. Things are emotions that come. You look at, you look at even, even the, the life of Jesus. John chapter 11, his best friend dies, Lazarus. What, what, what was Jesus' response? Jesus wept. Jesus was sorrowful. So if Jesus couldn't navigate life without feeling sadness and sorrow, then I think it's okay for us to feel that way too. It's how we respond to those emotions that James is going to get to. So one, 
doesn't mean that we need to be happy, go lucky, dance on the rooftop all the time. Number two, this verse isn't saying that you go look for trials. Some people are gluttons for punishment. Some people actually view their Christian life based upon how much suffering they can do. You, you look at some of the older church fathers who would, who would you know, kneel and crawl up these stony staircases and wreck their knees and say, I'm suffering for Jesus, and, and my, this suffering is going to bring me closer to, closer to God. That's not biblical. So don't be a weirdo. That's what I'm saying. Don't go looking for pain. It's coming for you. And number two, it's okay to frown. It's okay. Some of you, do it right now. Just frown. I give you permission to do so. But James here says, listen, count it all joy. And what James is saying here is that we need to consider the worth of our trials. Consider the worth of your trials. He says the word count there, when it says count it all joy, it means to evaluate something. It means to actually change the way that we think about something. So it isn't saying be joyful all the time. It means think about something a certain way. How many of you guys have ever seen that show, uh, um, Antique Roadshow? You guys ever like that? I figure we're doing like throwback Sunday hymns and stuff. Antiques, it's a throwback. So the premise of the whole show is what? They go back and they say, hey, I had this thing in my garage or I found this thing somewhere in my house. Is this worth anything? And sometimes it's garbage. No, just throw it away. Other times it's worth like tens of thousands of dollars. And so what, what James is telling us to do here is like, listen, evaluate the trials, the hardships that you're going through, but think of them as actually a good thing for you. Count it all joy. Consider this a welcome thing in your life. This is good and beneficial for you. And so James is saying, listen, we need to consider the worth of our trials. See, the difference that faith makes is that we actually see suffering differently right? What, are, what is our natural response to suffering? What is it? Make it stop, right? Run away. Um, use it as an excuse to sin. It says, Lord, just make it end as quickly as possible. James is saying, no. Consider this actually something good for you. James says that we, shouldn't, that we should understand this is for our good, not because of the pain that we're feeling, but what it can actually produce in us. Verse 3, where it says, you know, be able to, to see what God can do. And the second thing, not only do you consider the worth of it, it is good and beneficial for me to go through that. It sounds even crazy coming out of my mouth, but it is good and it is beneficial for you. And the second thing, verse 3, that we see is that, listen, we need to understand the purpose for our trials, as we understand what God is doing, verse 3, it says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That the testing of your faith, what God is doing here, is actually for your good. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. We use this often with our kids. Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I just walked through this verse last night with, 
with one of my kids. And I'm like, man, that, that makes sense. At the moment, all, does discipline ever seem good? No, it's terrible. Like, we hate it. We hate walking through it. We hate, we hate the pain that it brings. But when we understand that something good is going to come out of that pain, it makes us understand the purpose behind it. And it makes it so we can hang on that much longer, knowing that God has a purpose and a plan for it. I want to give you maybe a new definition for trial today. Something that, that I found this week and it's been super helpful to me. This is from uh, Warren, Warren Wearsby, and he, he defines a trial this way. He says, a trial is a divinely ordained difficulty that God causes or permits so that he might grow us into the image of his son. Hey, if you're taking notes, you have your phone out, take a picture of that. We all need to, we all need to understand what trials are. Because from a worldly point of view, trials is just a part of life. Life is hard. Suffering happens. But when we integrate faith into our understanding of trials, understand that we serve a loving, sovereign, and all-wise God who causes or allows things to happen in our lives for the purpose of making us more like Jesus. See, part of trials and where faith comes in is that we need to believe who God is. And pain and trials can, can be viewed in one, one of two ways. Oftentimes when we, if we see a scalpel, for all you med students out there, this one's for you. I just, I just had a couple surgeries. Scalpels and me are getting a little bit more, more familiar. But scalpel in the hand of a doctor is a good thing. They're cutting something out in a skillful and, and, yeah, it may be painful, but in a skillful and good way. A scalpel in the hand of a toddler, not so much. A scalpel in the hand, a knife in the hand of someone who's trying to actually hurt you, not so much. We need to understand who is behind our pain. We need to understand that behind every trial is an all-loving, all-wise, all-sovereign God who keeps his hand on the thermostat of our trials the entire time. He knows what he's doing. So we can trust him in that process. And he says, listen, know, know the purpose of your trials. That you're, This purpose, this trial that you're going through is for your good. And the purpose behind it is to produce endurance, to produce steadfastness. Because you see that faith is like any muscle. Any muscle. How do muscles grow? Exercise. Muscles grow when there's resistance. Faith only grows when trials happen. That's the only way our faith grows. Our confidence in God grows. Is when trials occur and we choose to follow after God in the midst of our trial. That's how our faith grows. If there were no trials, there was no pain, we would have no resistance I remember growing up, I went through a season of like eight months where I was in a cast. Not my whole body, just like my leg, and then my arm a couple times. I broke my arm twice. And I remember after not using, especially my arm, for like 10 weeks, they opened that thing up. They found a couple candy wrappers. But like my, my arm, my muscles were like shriveled up 
because I hadn't used them for a very long time. And that's, that's what happens with our faith. If we, don't, if, we, if we don't face testing and resistance and say, all right, God, in this situation, this is hard. I just lost my job. I just lost a loved one. I'm having the struggle, the struggle with, with a family member, whatever it is, and God, I, I want to trust you in that. That's when our faith grows. So God is saying, listen, trials come to produce something in us so that we would be steadfast, so that we would grow in our faith, that we would see in those moments where we have to turn to God. Man, that God is there each and every time, and God came through for me over and over again. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 5. I don't have it up on the screen, but I want to read it to you today. This is one of my favorite verses, favorite passages when, when it comes to suffering. It says this, Paul is writing, it says, We rejoice in our sufferings. Again, count it all joy. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, Paul even breaks it down even, even more than James. Listen, it's not just for so that you would have endurance in your faith and that your faith would grow, but it's for God doing something within your heart. That endurance produces what? Character. It changes who we are. It, it makes us more like Jesus, and that character produces hope. So that later on, because we've gone through this trial and we've responded well to it, that man, when the next trial comes, I can have hope that Jesus is going to come through for me and God's going to walk with me just as he did that last trial. That this is a building block process. That oftentimes God, the trial that God has put you in right now, I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm not trying to say it's not, it's not important because it is, but the trial that God has put you through right now is preparing you for the next one and the next one and the next one. And the trial that you're in right now has a purpose behind it. That, you, that we would turn our hearts away from ourselves and that we would turn our hearts over to Jesus and there's hope there. And it says, and those who hope in Jesus will not be put to shame. See, God, God isn't up there in heaven wringing his hands every time we have a trial in our life saying, I don't know if I can handle that one. Like, why did I allow that trial in his life? Because I, I, I don't know if I got that. God doesn't do that. God is saying here, every single trial that we're in, God is, God is crying from heaven, trust me, turn to me. I know what I'm doing, and I want to produce something in you that makes you more like my son Jesus. I want to give you qualities that you don't have. I want to give you experiences that you don't have right now. I want to give you an outlook on life that, that you're working through at the moment so that when the next thing comes down the road, you're going to be better for it. That there is a purpose, and God has a plan for the pain that you're in right now. That not only are we called to see all of that, the, the action point simply is this. Listen, that you and I need to change our perspective when it comes to suffering. That you and I just blatantly need to change how we view trials. And is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Do I rejoice when something breaks in my house or my car breaks down or when I had this conflict that, that I need to resolve? No, it's hard. 
but is doing something, and it's for our good. So our first response when we allow God into our trial simply is that we change our perspective. We must understand that we have a sovereign, all-loving, all-wise God who isn't punishing us, but working to produce something in us. So I want to challenge you with just this. The next trial, or the trial that you're in right now, I want you to just mouth the words, God, thank you. Don't kind of say it out loud, but in your heart. Be thankful for what God's doing. And even if you don't know what God is doing, you don't understand why you're in this trial right now, God does. And he is going to, to show you later on why you're in it right now. Change your perspective. Our trials are for our good. Faith allows us to have a proper perspective, but it also enables us to get the most out of our problems. James 1.4, last verse we're going to cover today says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, James is calling us here to allow each trial to have its full effect. And I wrestled with this one. It's like, how do I allow trials to have its full effect? They're kind of pushing on me. They're kind of the one, you know, coming into my life. How do I let it have its full effect? And something that God brought to my mind simply is this, is that our natural instinct is what? To eliminate difficulties as quickly as possible. We've already kind of touched on that. There's sometimes if I'm know I'm going to have a harder day or a physical day or, you know, or I'm going into a hard workout, I will pregame Advil before the fact just so that I'm not going to feel the pain afterwards. I mean, guys, I'm like, I'm 36 now. I'm beginning to feel some of these aches and pains and everything else. Most of us are like that. We, the first, at the first sign of pain, we go to, to, to that medicine cabinet. The first sign of pain, we're grabbing that Advil or, or that Tylenol. But James is saying here, Stay in the trial. Meet with God there and get the most out of it. This is a difficult thing. How many of you ever had like a sponge with like water and you're trying to wring it out? Is it okay if you just, is that sponge going to be good if you just kind of wring it out halfway and let all that water in there? No, it's going to turn like gross. You're going to leave it somewhere and forget about it and your wife's going to find it later and say, what happened here? Why didn't you do this? God calls us in our trials to take all of, all of our problems and wring that thing out for as much as possible and get every last drop out of it. And you're saying, Dave, you're crazy. No, we need to get rid of it as soon as possible. But I found something out, and you probably know, know this in your life too. When does God teach you the most lessons? When things are good or when things are hard? When things are hard. You know Why? Because we're listening. The pain in our lives causes us to turn to God. If things are going great, my first instinct is, at that moment, I don't need God. Things are going fine. I'm doing it on my own. But James says, hey, like that sponge, wring out every single lesson that you and I can get from that trial. So I want to just encourage you to do this today. I want to encourage you to lean into your pain. It goes against culture. It goes against our natural instincts. But hear me out. When we believe that God is good, when we believe that we can trust him, 
It allows us to stay in our pain, knowing that this is for our best. When we change our perspective on it, we can then lean into it. So instead of running away or trying to get rid of the pain, ask these questions so that you can lean in and learn from it. I just want to walk through these things. I'm not going to break them down a lot. I want you to write them down or think about these things the next time you're in a trial. So simply the first one, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to teach me? What lessons do I need to learn today? What things do you want me to figure out in life? What things do I need to be reminded of, God? What are you trying to teach me? Second, what sin do I need to repent of? God often brings trials into our lives to reveal the sinfulness of our hearts. And it takes difficulties and trials to come face to face, to be confronted with areas of our lives where we have done our own thing instead of submitting to God's authority in our lives there. What sins do I need to repent of? Third, what am I placing my hope in? What am I placing my hope in? The ultimate call of, of every, of all mankind, of all humanity, is to know God and worship him above all else and bring him glory. But all of us have decided to place our faith and our hope in something else outside of our relationship with Jesus. Whether it's your career, whether it's your family, whether, whether it's your health, whether it's your, your, your social standing. And God, in a way that only God can do, can take, will take those things away to show you where your hope ultimately lies. And lastly, where do I need to trust you more? Where do I need to trust you more? Sometimes God brings trials into our lives to, uh, to encourage us to take our next steps in following after Jesus. That's what the book of James is all about, the, hundred, the other 165 hours of our week. God, where do I need to take my next step out in faith and trust you more? And friends, as I just finish up today, I want you to remember this one thing. That God has a purpose and plan for your pain. I'm not minimizing it. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter, because it does. Your Heavenly Father knows it and is walking with you through it, even right now. But God has a plan and a purpose for it. That plan and purpose is to, through that pain, produce something in you that will make you more and more like Jesus. Know that God is up to something. A few years ago, uh, my family went to the Corning Glass Museum. I mean, how many of you guys have ever been there before? Actually, a pretty cool place. Like, I'd recommend going. Probably not recommend walking through the gift shop with four little ones where everything is glass, but the museum's really cool. And one of, they had like multiple demonstrations there. And in every demonstration, as they blew glass, it was awesome. So they took this material and they heated it up. And then, and then the, the glass blower there made tension and, and heat and fire and force, and they created something amazing out of it. And I thought, as I was walking through this passage, what would have happened if that glass blower heated that thing up just a little bit and then walked away? Nothing would ever come of that, of that material. It wouldn't, it wouldn't become a masterpiece that it is at the, at the end, with the, with the finished product. And 
church, and it got me, it just got me thinking about trials. Without heat, without force, without tension and skill, guys, our lives are not going to be what God has called them to be. So understand that whatever you're going through today, God is working in you to make you something beautiful, to make you something at the end of the day that he looks back and he shakes off his hands and says, my work is done in their lives. That God will continue to work and move, but he does it through trials to make us into something. So let me encourage you today. Don't give in. Don't give in to the temptation that I'm going to get out of this trial by walking away from God, by sinning, by, by doing whatever I think is best. Stay there. Trust him. God is at work and doing something great within your life. And so, something that we've been trying to do as a church is pray more together and lift up our, our request to the Lord today. And I'm going to ask you to do something today that I don't think we've done in a very long time. I'm going to ask you to take one of those Connect cards in your pew, fill it out, and on the back, I want, uh, would you just write down one area that you're struggling in, what trial that you're walking through right now, just for the purpose of being able to pray over you and pray over your situation. And on, on Tuesday morning, I don't even know if you guys know this, on Tuesday, so sometime on Tuesday, we send out uh, an email with the prayer request that we got this week. And we just want to create a culture where people are praying for each other. Romans chapter 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And we want to create a culture where we are praying for and lifting up each other as we all walk through these trials. So if you would, take that connect card, fill it out, put it in the gray baskets in the, in the back on your way out. Man, we just want to encourage you and know that you're being prayed over this week. And secondly, if you're here today, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, but you, you've resonated with this message because, man, your life has just come off the rails and there's pain and there's suffering and it hurts. And you're here this morning because you had nowhere else to go. The Bible says that God draws people to himself and that God, that God often uses trials and pain and suffering to draw people to Jesus. So I want to encourage you today, if you do not know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus, that you're searching for something, know that the thing that you need most of all is a personal walk with Christ. And it's not about, it's not about doing more, keeping more rules, or joining our church, or anything like that. A personal relationship with Jesus is simply trusting that you can't work your way to heaven, but you're trusting in what Jesus has already done for you. We, we, alluded, it, we alluded to it earlier. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross for your sin in your place, took all the wrath of God so that you, that you, don't, that you don't need to have the opportunity to pay for your sins, but if you come to faith in Jesus and believe that his work is enough for salvation, that you can have a relationship with, a restored relationship with God today. So if you're wrestling today, I would encourage you to do two things. One, if you're just 
Maybe this resonates, but you're not there yet. I'd encourage you to come up. We have these packets of, of information right up here in front. We would love to get one of these in your hands. The two things there are the Gospel of John, which is that book, book of the Bible, was written so that people could know that they have eternal life. It's, a, it's a, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life. The second book is called Ultimate Questions. And it simply is just a book with people struggling with faith and making their way toward, toward God. Um, and it answers a lot of those questions for you. So we would love to have you come up and take one of those packets of information today. But if you're ready today, to make the commitment, say, I want to follow Jesus with the rest of my life, and I believe that he died on the cross and rose again, and I'm placing my faith and trust in him, we would love to have that conversation with you this week. Simply mark that on your Connect card that you would like to begin a relationship with Jesus. Come find me after the service. I'd love to sit with you and talk more about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. But, man, I would just encourage you, don't leave this place without taking some step forward in your walk with God. So church, I'm going to invite the praise team up. We're going to sing one more hymn today. I'm going to ask you to stand. I just want to pray over you guys. Again, encourage you to drop those connect cards off in the gray baskets on your way out as well. So let me just pray over you as the praise team comes forward. So Heavenly Father, God, as we begin began the book of James today, Lord, it is so evident, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for our pain. And God, I hope couple things for our people. One, I hope that they know how much you love them. That trials aren't here to punish us at all, but trials are to produce something in us. God, I pray, Lord, that they would trust you today. And secondly, God, I pray, Lord, that we would create a culture here where trials and, and suffering, Lord, we're all going through them, but we all hide them really well. God, I pray, Lord, that we would just be more open and transparent about what we're going through so we can lift each other up, encourage each other, bear each other's burdens, God, as we go forward. And God, today, if there's someone here who does not know you as our Lord and Savior, God, I pray, Lord, that you would move in their hearts even now, Lord, that today would be the day where they place their faith and trust in Jesus and in him alone, God. So, God, we love you. We're trusting. We leave your, our lives in your hands today. God, thank you for the word, God, from James 1 this morning. We love you, Father. We pray all these things in the name of the risen Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.